Once Upon a Time, Season 6, Episode 3 is over, but we are just getting started here on Once Upon a Recap. Hello, all you magical people out there. My name is Mike Blue, one of the co-hosts of Once Upon a Recap, and I am joined by someone who sent his footman ahead of time just to let me know he was coming on to Skype. A little odd, but a little appropriate for this episode. Kurt Clark, how are you doing? Yes, yeah, so sorry, my butler was busy, so I sent the footman. I hope he wasn't. How dare you, Kurt? I built myself up for 27 years, and this is what I get? You got Jacob. <laughs> I got Jacob. I could, I could have yes. sent the man in black, but I sent Jacob. Oh, thank goodness. He, and he brought a nice big bottle uh, with a cork to show exactly how his homeland works. How kind <laughs> of him. So here we are talking about the third episode of Once Upon a Time, sixth season, but feels almost like an episode of the first season because we're talking about a storyline that connects to the first season. It is the return of Ashley and Cinderella. Now, Kurt, we talked a little bit about this at the end of last week, but what was your first reaction upon realizing that we are going to be touching upon this storyline again five seasons after the fact? What? <laughs> it, it was... It was um... I was I was very much surprised. I actually I at one point recently I had actually thought to myself that we don't really see a whole lot of Cinderella. It was one of the first storylines that uh we were actually introduced to. You you referenced uh you know kind of is for once upon a time a a, a tale as old as time. So in our in our pre-recording chat. It's really it's a tale as old as season 1. And so on the one hand I was curious about what they were doing with it and why they've revisited it, but I was happy to, and I thought there was actually a nice uh, tie-in as to why it happened and why they were revisiting it, which we'll, we'll get to when we uh, as we discuss the storyline. Yeah, and I think that I am happy that at least these random stories that we're bringing up in the land of untold stories, there are obviously a myriad of possibilities that we can explore. And what I'm happy about is that we're not doing it seemingly randomly, for now, that even something like the Count of Monte Cristo, he's going to play a key role in the episode last time in the main story itself, but it also has ties to Regina's storyline of what it's like to get revenge and how it could possibly get complicated. And here we're going to talk about happy endings and, you know, allowing family members to love other people that might be outside of the family. So, <laughs> what I'm enjoying about it is while we are exploring storylines that are bordering on five years uh it's nice that they they at least connect to the main storyline itself right and if you were playing the uh take a drink every time happy ending is mentioned uh i think you might be at an all-time high for the, for this i mean uh, it, it, it is abc i think they're just yeah. uh, shoehorning in the possibility of bringing back happy endings yeah. for a fourth season yeah yeah um and yeah i, th- I thought it was i thought it was re- really interesting um I, I, like I said, I was happy they brought it back, but at the same time, we're definitely continuing in this uh, uh, season five Underbrook vein of things in which it's another one and done. We saw the Count of Monte Cristo as one and done. I keep, I, I keep saying, almost thinking in my head, the Count of Monte Cristo. Um, <laughs> uh, it's just, uh, sorry. Or, or uh, the Count of Monte Cisco for all of you Mr. Robot fans out there. There you go. Um, and, and so here we had, you know, Clarina's storyline. Uh, 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 that were kind of one and done. So it was, uh, I don't know. I mean, we don't know that we're necessarily getting the count back. We don't know that we're getting Clorinda back. Um, but it, it was interesting that they, they are, again, we're three episodes in and two of the three episodes seemed to be a quick visit, touch and go in and out and uh, may not revisit that again. 
But we'll oh, see. Am, they could come back. Yeah. They could come back. I, no, I absolutely think that Cinderella and her family are going uh, to Mandyvale. Is that the term? I only just started watching The West Wing, so I don't remember if that's the term for, you know, basically writing a character off of the show. I mean, Cinderella had her one episode in season one. She makes a brief appearance in the beginning of season four, actually, when we started podcasting about this uh, in the daycare. Yeah. And now she comes back again. She's going to be less frequent than Archie, but I feel like she also kind of serves in that same point of view as him and reoccurring appearances by the dwarves of the writers kind of saying, we realize that we strayed a little too far from the path to use a, a Red Riding Hood comparison. Let's make sure that we get back on the trail and bring back elements that the fans love about the show. I mean, let's, let's you know, you you bring up Archie. Let's talk about, I think he's been, uh, he's been elevated to almost like a main character this season in terms of he's had a pretty major role in episodes two and three and at least a, a nice solid uh, reintroduction in, in episode one. Sorry if I said seasons two and three, I meant episodes two and three. Um, but he's been yeah, solidly in all three episodes so far. I'm actually liking the, the Archie arc. Um, and I mean, he could, he could go away now and I think he would, I'd still say that it was a meteor, uh, chunk than we saw with the count and with uh, Clorinda. So, uh well, here's here's to more Archie. I'm always I'm always for Dr. Hopper. Yes, we'll see if the Archie uh improves itself upon, or even builds upon itself in more episodes. But let's talk about the flashback. Let's get all of the Ella or Cinderella. What which would you rather call her for the sake of this narrative, Kurt? Uh let's just, you know, let's just go Ella. All right. Yeah, cuz I guess they bring up like the true name the true origin of the name in the narrative which disney probably won't tell you it's she's called cinderella because she used to sweep up the cinders by the fireplace and her name was ella's they used to nickname her cinderella it's interesting you and i were talking about this before we recorded but usually you you learn a little bit from flashbacks but this is one of the the flashbacks i can remember in recent memory that really didn't build too too much new information a lot of it almost played like a one-for-one retelling of the cinderella story which i feel like has been done so many times at this point including the most recent disney live action movie last (laughs) year true but i I think a lot of the these traditional beats to the cinderella story were kind of glossed over in the original uh episodes in season one um i i i like we didn't really get any you know depth into uh the relationship she has with her family and the stepmom and the stepsisters i, I think we got a lot more uh, it was a lot more character driven if we want to say that about, about this um i what i found really interesting was that oftentimes for people who are potentially um new to the the series they'll either go a little bit more explanatory into things that had happened in the past that you quote unquote should know we got a little bit of that with with ashley uh who's the modern day ella uh referencing her babysitting in daycare um but i was surprised that in the in the previews or sorry the previously on section uh there wasn't really any mention of how rumpelstiltskin uh took out the fairy godmother i mean there's an oblique reference as cinderella enters the ball uh that rumpelstiltskin gave her the dress but for anybody who wasn't around in season 1 you don't really know the kind of the true story behind what happens to the fairy godmother. Uh, yeah. So I, I was I was a little bit surprised that we didn't get much there, but I was actually I was happy to see a, a more exploration with uh, the, the 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 I think the spot on casting of the uh, the wicked stepmother and uh, the, yeah, Lady Tremaine. Yes, and these these stepsisters, only one of whom is named. Um, 
Which I guess keeps the door open, uh, the Land of Untold Stories door uh, open for uh, you know potentially stepsister number two. Yeah, I guess I would have less problems with it if they actually did something new with it. I think the reason why I was fine with them sort of yada yachting through the details in season one was because if I had known that it was essentially very close, or at least like this first. Um, this first flashback scene where we sort of see, oh, Cinderella's getting treated badly by her stepmother and stepdaughters, and there's a ball going on. I think the footmen foreshadowing that happens in this part is probably the most poignant part. Otherwise, we pretty much assumed going in that this is what Cinderella's life was like before going to the ball. I still like seeing it, though. I, I, I still like seeing it. And I like seeing a little bit more Gus Gus. You just like seeing the pretty dresses, Kurt. Admit it. <laughs> and then throwing them in the furnace. Oh, boy. <laughs> Throw it in the fire. Throw it in the yes. fire. Maybe the uh, <laughs> Slendy Tremaine Culpepper. There's the, the Culpepper uh, 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 line of dresses there, yeah. <laughs> Two stepdaughters into three is <laughs> <it's> better <laughs> than one stepdaughter into zero. <laughs> three dresses. Two stepsisters. One surviving dress. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Uh, so what did you think also about Gus the Mouse? We see him in the opening graphic here. We've talked before about how in Once Upon a Time obviously does not do the talking animals, uh, but Gus Gus is a prominent member of the animated Cinderella film that Disney did a while back. And to have him appear here as sort of a CGI mouse, what did you think about uh, Gus's... I'll say, we'll save his human appearance for later. What did you think about Gus's non-human appearance in this episode? I liked I liked I liked it. I liked it. Like I said, I I I think I minded I I enjoyed more than you the the the, the callbacks to the story we already knew. And even though the fact that they gave him a little a little Gus shirt uh it was kind of fun and um He wasn't fat enough for me. <laughs> he wasn't fat. <laughs> Which yeah, because you know we, we we'll, we'll go more into like, you know, human Gus later on, but he 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 wasn't as portly as you would necessarily expect Gus to be. Um but uh, yeah, we. Uh, what the last time we saw Gus, he was a mechanic who got killed by a, a werewolf. Correct? <laughs> he, no, he had gotten. We thought he did, but he was actually killed by uh, David's adopted oh, yeah, father sorry. to that's spread right. the rumor against. Uh, it was the wolf hunt. That's right. That's right. I knew. I knew David. Yeah, sorry, I, I forgot that. Yeah, David's father was in, involved in that. Uh, but yeah, but uh, not uh, not the not the man who had been stabbed. His adopted father. <laughs> what do you mean stabbed? It was a drunk gardening accident. Um. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, it, it's nice to, to bring to have a bit more Gus. And we had a little bit of uh, Cinderella's mother's words here where a key happened to, I guess, survive the furnace blast. And Cinderella brings up to Gus that her mother once told her about the key unlocks a magical land where you can escape your troubles. The land of untold stories where troubles melt like lemon drops Wrong high story. above the chimney tops. That's where you'll find me. <laughs> yeah, and I couldn't tell if like... It almost sounded like she said, "Oh, mom told Mama told me there'd be keys like this. Um, <laughs> there'd be keys like this." My mom said, "Yes, yeah, she did." Mama <laughs> said, "Mama said." Um, it, it almost said like that there were keys like this that were magic and could open up the the the, the pathway to the to, to I'm calling the uh, LOUSs. Um, they exist. Uh, the, the land of untold stories, and, and so I wasn't Laos. quite. Yes, the, the Laos, uh, not that Laos. That'd be kind of a. <laughs> Uh, wrong land. Um, but I almost got the impression that she hadn't actually seen this key before, but the, the keys were like almost like a tale that her mom told of her. But at the same time, it's one of those things where it's like, well, how do you know this was the key your mom was talking about? But I, go ahead. 
I was going to say, I wonder, we'll probably see the general mythos of the yeah. Land of Untold stories and this idea that maybe like the rings in the beginning of the Lord of the Rings series, that there were so many keys that were forged in the fires and, <laughs> you know, how were they distributed? And I wonder if each of our characters that will end up in the Land of Untold stories have a key fall into their possession somehow. I'd almost rather that that was like just the generic portal rule for Once Upon a Time. There's a there's, there's, there's so many portal rules though, Kurt. I say just have one. If you have a key, you can unlock a portal, and and but there's just like keys will appear. Every, oh, we found another key. Okay, I guess I that could have gotten old really fast. Like oh, we thought we got rid of all the keys, but here's a twelfth one. Um, yeah. So so far we know that what uh, you know gold Rumpelstiltskin probably has a ton of these, but he used one of them to at least to you know send the count. Uh, uh, and his uh, poisoned uh, love over to Land of Untold Stories, and now there was one in the in the dress. So who knows? Maybe it is the magic key, and it, it goes to those who need it, and to those who uh, who need it most at the time. I don't know. Maybe it's just a single key, but we'll maybe we'll find out more. But I, I have a feeling that we are going to see uh, many more keys uh, over the course of this season. It's the Sisterhood of the Traveling Key on Once Upon a Time. There you go. <laughs> so let's go to the ball. We have. Our human version of Gus. This, I guess, takes place in the chronology after the fairy godmother gets incinerated and Rumpelstiltskin makes a deal with her in exchange for giving her everything she needs for the ball. Uh, Gus makes a very quick exit when he sees a... I want to go to this ball, Kurt, because there's a guy walking around with giant wedges of cheese on plates (laughs) for guests to have. You know, I'm really tired of the stereotype about mice, that all mice like cheese. That's that's played out. (laughs) Let's, let's move oh, on. Boy. It's it's the twenty first century. Let's let's move on. Uh you're being too peaches, Kurt. Too peaches. <laughs> what did you think about this Snow White introduction? Now obviously with the Enchanted Forest, a lot of these kingdoms are connected and you have a surprisingly more interwoven web of interacting, especially between royals than you would initially think. But <laughs> did you have any thoughts about the cameo of Snow and Charming in these couple scenes? I liked the cameo of Charming because he was literally like kind of fly in, fly out, didn't have a speaking role. Um, They're like, Josh, can you just like come in for like an hour? (laughs) Exactly. It also makes me wonder if they like film, like looking ahead, how many ball sequences we have. We have one uh, for the Count of Monte Cristo. We have one for the Cinderella flashback. Let's just like adjust where the people are standing and CGI in a different color background. And we'll just film all of these in one day. I wonder if that's how they do it for season six. Um, I actually again the the having her run into Snow White. I think it's it's a nice continuity thing. I think you know one of the reasons I like Once Upon a Time is the chance for these again these characters to uh, cross pollinate and we kind of get the intersection of those stories. Uh, they go into the whole um, uh, you know do you think he, I, I liked the whole do you think he's charming and I, and uh, it's like well I think that's uh, that's already taken. Um, and I'm trying to remember. I, I, I do believe what that you know. We talked about this way back when we first started podcasting. Is that Sleeping Beauty's prince is Prince Philip? I believe that rest his soul, <laughs> rest his soul, wherever it is, maybe. Uh, <laughs> um, and then you've got the prince, and you've got Prince Charming. And I do believe that was it, that Cinderella's prince was Prince Charming. But uh, or sorry, that Snow White's. Actually, I think it was literally. I think Cinderella's. Prince was Prince Charming, but Snow White's Prince was just referred to as the Prince in like classic storybook literature. Yes. Um, so, uh, but in in this retelling, in the ABC version of uh, uh, Snow White, actually gets the uh, the Prince with the actual moniker Charming. So, 
Yeah, he gets an upgrade. And I guess, I don't know if the prince is called Thomas in this version or only in Storybrooke, because I know changing the names is also kind of a, a weird thing as well, and it's made even further complicated by the fact that someone like Snow White gives up her modern-day name. But it seems like the prince and Ella are really hitting it off until Thomas slips away to give a rose to Clorinda. I guess she gets the first impressions rose. Uh, unfortunately, Ella is not happy, and even made worse so by the fact that Lady Tremaine, who I guess did not recognize her, but still seems to mock her for looking clearly out of her element. Yeah, I I didn't like this Ella shaming that was going on. This 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 just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But it was also it's like one of those points where I just like want to go in. It's like this is a person who she only has power. Lady Tremaine only has power. Because you are allow are giving her power, and I I wanted to see uh, Ella stand up to her more than she did, uh, but you know it just didn't happen. But so yeah, I but truly abhorrent character, and so so well played. Yeah, but I, and I, exactly, I I don't I think I would be angrier that she didn't she was not represented as three dimensional if it was due to the fact that I don't think the writers wanted her to be three dimensional. No. I wanted her she's purely served as a catalyst for Ella to feel bad so that she left to make up for the fact that we're not doing what the tale does of oh at midnight that's the reason why she runs off. Instead she's more so running out in embarrassment rather than actually trying to hide her shame. And I think that I think that's an interesting point. Like, you know, how many dimensions does this character have? I'd say that all of our kind of main characters that we see from episode to episode and season to season are very three dimensional, fleshed out characters, uh, except for Henry. And um, <laughs> but beyond that, you have some of these characters who um, are literally almost played as characters who stepped off a page. And given like the context of what we're watching, it, that could very well be. So it's it's almost like uh, Lady Tremaine. Uh, really never existed much beyond a character on a page, a very flat two-dimensional character. And she's very, you know, one note in terms of, uh, you know, how she acts. I'd say uh, Clorinda's uh, more fleshed out. But I think, I don't know, I, I actually, it works for Once Upon a Time that you have on occasion run across these two-dimensional flat one-note characters. And I, and I think it actually works here. Yeah, though I will say this made me think a little bit more earlier on in the show about the fact that, oh, maybe the big twist of the episode is not that Ella's attacking Clorinda or the long way around, it's that she's protecting her from Lady Tremaine, that she was such an overbearing presence that maybe she's the true evil that they're protecting her against. Yeah, yeah. So we go back to the house. Ella is moping around, but Gus reminds her of the magic key, and it's clear she's going to jump into Laos to take her mind off of things when Clorinda runs in and stops her and drops the bomb that the prince, it was all a big misunderstanding. He was giving her a rose on behalf of her footman to whom she is engaged. We get that great fairy tale and t- and tomorrow will be two days of, you know, me- love at first sight, let's get engaged very quickly. She seems to take a real turn here saying that they were both under Lady Tremaine's thumb and that she's going to run away with the footman and never come back. This is something that has been an element of a lot of modern Cinderella stories. At least a couple that I've seen has always had one bad stepsister and one who's has bad <laughs> actions but has good intentions. What did you think about Clorinda's turn here? Uh, I liked it. I liked seeing um, 
at least a build on the traditional story that we that we know uh, of Cinderella. Um, I'm, I'm less familiar with the uh, the evolutions where you have one who's yeah is T-O-C. wicked. T-O-C. Yes, the yeah, the evolution of Cinderella um, or Clorinda, or either either one. It could be either uh, or. Yeah, either or. Uh, so I actually I actually kind of of liked it, and I said, oh, I, and it was a nice link to the whole land of untold stories because I was wondering throughout this. You know what Cinderella's tie to the land of untold stories was because I think we know that she didn't go there, like unless somehow she came back. So like, what was going to happen here? So I was really interested in how this uh, potentially played out. Um, did you? Were you looking for like parallels? Like, do you think because this was ABC that there was almost a little bit of a Bachelor feel to what was going on with the Rose? Yeah, was- I mean, I definitely got that impression. Uh, speaking of first impression, when I saw him <laughs> give the rose to her, but I don't know if that was like an Easter egg on behalf of ABC because okay. I feel like they would have made it less subtle. I'm not disparaging ABC too much, but it's one of their biggest franchises. You would think that they would make at least one more reference to it. Maybe like you know, Clorinda should have like given him like a big thing of lunch meat, and he could have just like, ate it right there. Well, that wasn't there been- an episode of The Bachelor <laughs> where like the first episode the guy said the wrong name at first? Maybe that was a, an instance that happened here at the ball. There, there was an episode of uh, uh, you know, many seasons ago. Uh, where the bachelor did he did say the wrong name, and then there was like one fewer rows on the table uh, than there should have been, and so he you know tells Chris I need to give an additional rose because I accidentally said the wrong name, and then he tells the girl that I didn't mean to say your name, I apologize, but uh, I you know I'd, st- I'd like you to still stay for another week. <laughs> I think in, anyway. All um, right, so maybe maybe yeah. I'll uh, I'll retcon my statement. I would love to see more of the Cinderella narrative if we get a bachelor version of the prince's story. He just goes into a room that's filled with like single shoes, and he has to guess which which uh, bachelor or which which bachelor contestant's going to stay by like picking a shoe he likes and then trying it on all of the contestants. <laughs> Will you accept this shoe? Yeah, it's like that's not mine. <laughs> no. Well, one <laughs> shoe that one shoe the contestant cannot accept is Ella's. As after Clorinda runs away, Lady Tremaine kind of takes out her anger on Ella by finding the other glass slipper and uses it as sort of blackmail. If she doesn't tell her where Clorinda is, she will destroy any sort of proof and any sort of thing that will help her find her happy ending. Of course, Ella does not relent, and so the shoe breaks. It shatters. And so we see sort of, again, something fairly similar to the way the story usually goes, where the prince pulls into the house, but Princess Tr- or Lady Tremaine, she wants to be Princess Tremaine, but no, no, has locked the door. <laughs> uh, Snow White is here this time, but luckily Gus to the rescue as he's able to very quickly sneak a key out and let Ella in to all know it was one big misunderstanding and the shoe was not needed after all. But I, I never really got the sense that Ella's storyline was in any jeopardy. I mean, like Snow White is very much leading the charge in terms of like, well, she, I, I'm, I'm a tracker. She very clearly came here. This is the, this is where, you know, the woman we're looking for lives. She may not be here now, but I feel like if like, they hadn't gotten out, they would have come back again. Um, so I, 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 I didn't really feel that there was much at stake in the whole, uh, Cinderella and the Prince storyline. And that's not just because I knew it was going to turn out well. It just like, it seemed to be, uh, it, it, it wasn't a matter of the, if the Prince had given up, Snow White would have been like, no, she's here. And if she's not here now, we're going to come back tomorrow and the day after that. So that would have eventually happened. Um, I think the, the, yeah, the, the bigger thing was the whole kind of revelation that, um, uh, the uh, Lady Tremaine had uh, some sort of uh, 
really strong desire to stop Clorinda, and we didn't really know to what how far she was going to go to do that. Were you also getting kind of mini flashbacks to the whole, um, uh, you know, Daniel the stable boy and the evil and Regina's mom wanting to take him out because that because Regina was in love with him? I was getting like a little bit of a reminiscent flashback to that, where in this case, instead of Snow White ratting out uh, Daniel to the evil queen or to the to regina's mom it was more you know ash uh ella ratting out clorinda and jacob to ladies remain are you team jacob or team edward on this one is there is there an edward in the once upon a time universe i can't remember oh there probably is but i'm (laughs) i i I, right now i have to say i'm team jacob Uh, um but yeah i think class disparity is a theme i mean even speaking outside of daniel the stable boy Cora herself got Cora, pregnant with right. Regina with was his name Jonathan the the royal gardener so I think it's a big theme in Once Upon a Time and I'm happy that it's rearing its head again because I mean that is sort of a representation of the culture of that medieval time period where it's supposed to exist where you really don't marry outside of your class and there's a lot of instances of true love that happens between people from two different backgrounds so I thought it was nice to see like a tale of forbidden love that continues to be forbidden as it seems like Jacob and Clorinda are ready to head off to Laos when Lady Tremaine is able to appear, knocks out Jacob and is about to kill him when Ella runs in and this turns into a sort of a, I wouldn't call this a further misunderstanding, but I think Clorinda is taking the one point where uh, she thinks that Ella had ratted her out when really she did not and decides to blow it out to proportion and affect their relationship. It turns out indefinitely until they see each other again. Yeah, exactly. And and this is one of those one of those cases where um it was, I I wasn't sure if Ella was going to get was going to be able to get a was going going to get a chance to fully explain herself uh in terms of no 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 no, I'm telling you this now. Uh, because it, it, I'm not telling you to brag. I'm telling you because this now this means you can live your happy. What it, well, you know what doesn't really matter because Lady Tremaine is going to open up the portal to to Laos. And I like this idea that last episode we had the Count go into the portal because he wanted to do something good. He wanted to prevent this woman from dying. And so he wanted to put a pause here. Lady Tremaine is using it for a more nefarious purpose. She's saying, it seems like my world is coming, crashing down around me. I'm going to press pause on it to prevent it before I can find a way to stop it. You're coming with me. So it's fun. I hope we see more variations on the reasons why these characters choose to go to the land of untold stories. Yeah, I think I, 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 you know what? I think you're going to get your wish. Yes. I didn't even need to prey upon a star or anything. Yeah. So let's jump into the modern day narrative here. And we'll focus specifically sort of tying right back into the Ella Ashley of it all on the stuff that's going on with Emma and Hook. There's an underlying thing. We really haven't seen a lot of Emma and Hook aside from their, uh, their over-the-pants action in the first episode. But it seems like Emma might be having next steps on the mind. Uh, Henry shows Emma and Hook the work that he's doing. Seemed very reminiscent to me of Hurley with the manifesto in the first season of Lost. I wonder if we're going to see an Ethan Rom-like character appear. <laughs> There's somebody that's not on the manifesto? <laughs> exactly. Someone who Henry's like, oh, this is someone who was not traveling with this person. Uh, but I think it is also a nice way to get him involved in the action and for him to, at least for the, for us to sort of have a, a running account of 
who each person is and what their story is supposed to be and who they're supposed to be with. These characters will not necessarily, they'll come out of nowhere, but at least our characters will feel like they're not coming out of nowhere. I mean, that seems like it would be a great online resource for ABC to recreate on their on their website in terms of like, like Henry's uh, uh, you know, Storybrook Manifesto uh, in, in, in terms of, uh, you know, his 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 little black book of 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 new characters and and so that the the viewing audience can follow along. <laughs> so Ashley suddenly appears uh, again for the first time in two seasons. She offers her services, saying, "If any of these refugees have little kids, I should be able to help." And so while she's looking it over, she leaves her daughter with Hook, and Emma notices that Hook is taking rather kindly to the little girl, which made my wife squee while we were watching this because she loves Hook and she is definitely getting those types of thoughts right now. So it's probably a bad combination for me. <laughs> well, it must be like, I think it was one of those situations where I think Hook stepped up to the occasion uh, but it wasn't. It, but I think clearly it was not like an occasion that it was. Some, it wasn't something that he was uh, looking to venture into. I think it was more of a, well, I'm kind of being placed in the situation, so I'll just step up and be the man and you know play nice with the kid and and. But I I I I don't I don't think he. Uh, I don't think it's something that he really enjoyed. I'm gonna well, take. That, I'm gonna take that side. He played pretty well for a man with a sharp hook at the end of one of his hands. We, well, yeah, I think he just has to be very conscious of that. That's all. <laughs> exactly. Do not get too, too close with the kids. One hand only. Uh, but here Hook even reveals that him and Emma have kind of slowed down their relationship to the point of where they're yeah. not even living together. Now, I was trying to remember back in season five, obviously there was a lot of stuff going on, uh, including the fact that Hook had been dead for half the season. But I guess when Emma had bought that house, they weren't moved in together, right? They were still living apart then? Uh, correct. Uh, the, the, I, I was, I'd say the other big revelation from this scene to me is that Hook's still sleeping on the Jolly Roger. That was, and that Bell snores, apparently. Well, I feel like, I feel like even if he was living with Emma, he'd have to live on there now. Cause I think it's one thing to say, okay, you're going to stay with me. I'll take on the crocodile. It's another thing to leave her alone on the boat and then go hang out with your girlfriend. Well, no, I think that that's fine. I mean, that's how Airbnbs work. I think I, that's perfectly legitimate. I have no issue with that. I mean, it's not like she was like being sheltered from uh, gold or that she was looking for refuge and hiding. I, I don't think that's not how I ever interpreted it. She just kind of wanted her own place to stay. Mm, okay, that's a way of that's. I guess I I didn't make the Airbnb comparison or the CBNB comparison, but I guess that does make sense. As you mentioned, we have another session of therapy here. Lots of answers in this first 30 seconds, Kurt. <laughs> first, uh, Grumpy's in therapy. Secondly, Dopey is getting his master's, which leads to point number three. And the answer that we've been waiting for for a long time, Kurt, Dopey is no longer a tree. Yeah. It, I, I like how we were told that this was something that was going to be addressed uh, at the start of season six. And it was very much kind of yada yada across. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I, th- I just, I just, I just found that 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 quite funny. But yeah, he, he's off getting his masters, and Grumpy's a little bit salty about that. Salty the eighth dwarf. Well, I also <laughs> feel bad for the actor who played Dopey because, like, great, you were in a couple of episodes. First, you're going to get turned into a tree, and now you're going to be written off the show to go to college. But I wish he had not gotten transformed because I would love to see like big tree on campus. Just the idea of like a tree going to college and all the misadventures that would follow. 
yeah, yeah. And um, and 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 sorry, just to to, to clarify on the the house. Remembering back to season five, it was Hook who found the house and had basically uh made, worked with Henry in order to uh get get it. To, to kind of pointed out to Emma so that, that she would end up buying it. But Hook and, Hook and Henry had been kind of conspiring to get that house for Emma. So it's very clear that even this scene will show that the impetus is kind of on Emma, I guess, to yeah. make the next move. Though clearly she has other things on her mind here. Uh, her, her therapy this week is not even about her death or the visions anymore as much as it is the idea that she's sort of pushing everyone away because she knows it will all end soon in her death and that she wants to give Hook her own happy future and not have to worry about getting too close with him in order and then passing away and leaving him lonely and heartbroken. We've sort of disparaged Emma a bit in the past couple of episodes with her ideas of hiding this secret from her family. How does this stack up for you and your general criticisms of, of, of Emma so far? I think this is maybe a little bit more, <sighs> at least she's like self-aware of this. Like she's, it's like, oh gosh, I'm, I've, I've just kind of realized that I'm not allowing happiness in my life because whoever I'm happy with, that happiness is going to be taken away because I'm doomed to die. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not fully committing to being happy. And, and she kind of gets there on her own and, and, and kudos to her for that. And kudos to her for, um, immediately going to see Dr. Hopper. I don't know if I go by into the whole busting in on a grumpy session, um, yeah, that's just like that's not good therapy etiquette. But at the same time, this potentially means if she's getting all these self realizations on her own, um, I don't know if that bodes well for you know Doctor Hopper's longevity, uh, given that she's kind of handling herself. But at the same time, she's still not really taking much action based on this. She's already you know saying that you know I uh, I. I I know I should tell my family about these visions I'm having, but I can't because I don't know who's under the hood. But you also know uh, who's not under the hood. So you could tell some people. Um, yeah. But yeah. So it's, you know, I think it's, she's, she's fully embracing therapy. So kudos to her. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with more with what you just said. I think it definitely is a little bit better on Emma's part to at least realize this is why she's pushing people away. But the fact that she still continues to not act upon it then brings me back to frustration. Exactly. So Archie does provide some really great words here, though, that will definitely resonate with her more than her shaking hands. He says, Emma, maybe it's not about how you end things. Maybe it's about how you live them. Something tells me when it becomes Once Upon a Time's last season, like this quote is going to play above the the preview for the final season. Yeah, and every season I think we we get those little things that we think are going to be kind of repeated uh, themes throughout the, the season, whether or not it's, you know, magic always comes with a price or uh, family is always there for each other. Uh, you know, this is maybe one of those things that we'll, we'll revisit is, is that, it, you know, again, it's not how you end things. It's how you live them. So it's very much, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. So, um, we'll, we'll see how often we circle back to this in the rest of season six. Well, someone who's about to start off on her own journey is Ashley. Thomas goes to meet Emma outside of therapy and tells her that Ashley has disappeared and left a note behind that I guess in checking the manifesto, she had noticed that Clorinda was on there, and he also noticed that his hunting rifle is missing. And Emma jumps to the conclusion that Ashley is hunting her down. <laughs> She's going to track her, but first she needs, of course, a shoe. Yeah. Bless you. I, I, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, at least so, yeah, it, it's, it's fitting, uh, <laughs> the shoe fits. <laughs> um, so, 
it's it's yeah it's that's 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 i guess that's that's a nice little tie back to to cinderella and how you would potentially track her down um let's let's like revisit maybe a little further down the storyline uh as as we talk whether or not uh why ashley brought the hunting rifle with her <laughs> yeah uh that was a little, again i talked about jumping to conclusions before uh that was that was going from like a one to a ten about well clarence is in trouble better bring the gun <laughs> yeah because i there was never really any i mean she says that she's going to help her um but I, I, I'm trying to think. Maybe, maybe in addition to seeing Clorinda's name in the uh, storybook, she also saw her uh, wicked stepmother's name. Maybe that's uh, in the in the registry. Um, maybe that's part of what's going on here. So, because there was never really talk. Maybe it's because they were just kind of still building the story with us as the audience. Is we don't really know what kind of danger Clorinda's in. But mm. just now looking ahead, um, a- Ashley. Uh, doesn't really seem to be like uh, she sees Clorinda, but she's not like looking around for where the stepmother is. Like she's not, she doesn't for someone who's rushing into a situation expecting that she needs a gun. She doesn't look like she needs the gun once she gets there and is quick to part with it. But we'll get to yeah. That. We there get to there that. is going to be a, yeah, in a few minutes. We're probably going to be talking about a scene where people are just pointing the gun at each other. When this exists in a magical world where this could all just be completely undone. And I do find it interesting that if that was the case. A, why did she not see Lady Tremaine on the manifesto? B, if she did, why did she not write Clorinda and my mother are here? I'm gone. Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah, so what I'm saying. Like she, may, I was thinking maybe she did see Lady Tremaine on there. Um, uh, but yeah, to your point with the with with the note, you be a little bit more explanatory with your notes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You could. That's. I feel like that's one of the main tropes of scripted television and movies, though, right? Is that like, oh, I don't have time. I need to scroll on a message. You, you could take an extra thirty seconds to write down exactly what's going on to not have people misconstrue it. And why does Ashley not have a smartphone? I mean, seriously, we see we see Hook and company texting each other. Even Hook has figured out the the whole smartphone thing and texting. Um, the fact that she left a handwritten note very much implies that she uh, uh, is. Uh, at least Gen X, if not older. Uh, Maybe inter- she's, a, she's a romantic at heart. She still wants to write notes to Thomas. But there was like, Thomas was like, I'll call her right now. We'll figure out what's going on. There was never any of that. There was never any assumption you could reach Ashley by phone. Well, maybe the evil queen still kept the uh, the the freezing effect on the phone from last episode. So now nobody can call each other either. Oh, that's true. That's true. So Hook is showing Henry briefly how to sword fight, which... Pinged a little bit in my memory, Kurt, because if I seem to recall, didn't David teach Henry how to sword fight as well? There were some scenes of that. Um, maybe it wasn't so good. I, I guess if you, if I have, they're both good fighters. I mean, I, I think of I think of uh, uh, David as a little bit more. I think you know tradition like military. Uh, style sword fighting, like if you're going to be in combat, and I think of Hook as a little bit more of a, again, kind of a uh, Monte Cristo swashbuckling type. Um, uh, so may- maybe this is just a different style. Mm, so he's learning both styles, and he can really just jump between the two depending on his opponent. Yeah, he's learning the 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 
uh, the Vienna style of sword fighting versus the uh, Neapolitan style of sword fighting. Well, we'll see uh, how many points Carrie Ann Abra gives Henry for his sword fight play. What did you think about the name Operation Cobra Part 2? Was that a spit in the face of everything they tried to do with Regina last week? Uh, a little bit. Um, or, is called- op- or is Operation Cobra Part 2 just the general idea of improving people's stories? I think it's just like anything in season six is Operation Cobra Part Two. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, but they should have called go, it. Got to go get breakfast. Operation Cobra Part Two <laughs> is underway. <laughs> they did, they, they, but I, I really just want them to say Part Two. I don't. I don't know why. Like, are you, are you a big Hot Shots fan? Is that why? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's dating. So, <laughs> so Emma's tracking spell has the shoe fly away, and so it seems like the trio of Henry, Emma, and Hook are going to be together for the rest of this episode. They follow it to Ashley down by the docks, uh, and they're trying to, uh, once again, in a similar move to the flashback, really explain themselves. Emma's going to bring up the uh, punch-back mantra that she gave Ashley, not only in like the third episode of the series, but in the previously on as well. But Ella reminds her that that mantra pretty much means that she has to be the one to do it. And she seems to provide a trigger line here about how, you know, happiness, my happiness could possibly be a lie, which causes those savior spasms to come back and Emma cannot stop her from running away. Yeah, there's this whole thing about, you don't know the whole story, which I think is also going to be a recurring theme uh, for, for the, for this, for this, uh, for this, this season. Um, yeah, she she gets the savior spasms. Uh, uh, Ella, uh, or sorry, Ashley uh, runs away, um, and it's like you're wondering though, what did she? And I think at this point, you know, we're supposed to be as listeners asking, well, what did she do that was so bad? But also, I'm thinking like, well, what is she planning on on doing now? Like, she's got the the gun. Uh, I mean, at this point, we don't yet know. All we know is that she says that. Clorinda was good and she was the bad one. And at this point, we didn't see the flashback part yet where she kind of rats out her sister or mouses out if you're talking about Gus. Um, so, yeah, I think this whole thing about not knowing the whole story is, is going to be uh, important. But um, I'm, like, I, I don't know, I'm beginning to think that, you know, Emma's potentially well, – we'll get to a little bit more on, uh, you know, is she becoming over-reliant on her magic? And, and you know, it, we, once upon a time – uh, the things that she's doing now, she could do without magic. So, uh, yeah. but we'll 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 get to that shortly. We'll get to that. I am so happy that they brought that up because that's something that we, as a fandom in general, have been complaining about the past few seasons. Starting around like season three, when it was revealed that Emma could do magic, we sort of were like, "Okay, where did her superpower go? Yeah. Why is she not? Why is why does it seem like the character has gotten, for lack of a better term, stupider?" <laughs> when she was really such an astute, smart character in the first few seasons. But before we get to that, we have our evil queen taunt here, where she appears and basically starts monologuing about how, you know, she is the, not necessarily the evil counterpart of Regina, as much as she is the more honor, the a more honest part of Regina, who will let her own story run its course. And the interesting here thing here, Kurt, that's going to get Emma's head spinning, spinning a little bit, is that she brings up to Emma that she's targeting her specifically to prove how pointless she is as a savior. Now, I know episode one, we talked a little bit about how we hope this is going to bring about what the general mythology of the savior is and maybe what the purpose might be overall. Do you think this really is the evil queen's purpose is to just prove the faultiness of the savior as a role? Um, 
I think it's it's something that's at least within that ballpark. I mean, the scene that we see shortly after this, um, or or more towards the end, where uh, the evil queen is talking to uh, Mister Hyde in his cell. I mean, that's like we we kind of talk about that with reality TV in terms of like. Uh, you know, the conversations that you're having with certain people don't necessarily reveal the full truth. It's often like the one-on-one confessionals where you learn the most. And I think we we learned a little bit more about the queen's true intentions when she was kind of, uh, you know, chatting with, with Hyde. And it does seem to be that her intent is to really somehow take, take as she says, take Emma off the chessboard. And she's just trying to figure out how to do that. Um, and that but it's something that will lead to a chain reaction of everybody's happy endings falling apart. Yeah, see, so this is more so step one in a larger plan rather than than an exact end goal. Um, I think that it had this come to pass, and I think we'll 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 talk about this when we get to the the hide scene. I think had this actually come to pass, I think it would have been step one and done. And I think you know it was, this this was a little bit more of a um, plan A, push over this domino, and then everything falls apart. But because things got foiled, you're going to have to get to a slightly more complicated plan B that's not going to necessarily be as easy to implement. But we'll, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll chat about that when we get to the hide scene. But at least for, the, for now, it seems like uh, she's really at least tipping her hand as much as she can, she's telling Emma, you're the savior. If you can't save people, um, then, you know, everything is going to fall apart. So we don't exactly know what she's trying to do here. And here she attempts to sort of knock a bunch of pieces off the chessboard at once by taking a swipe at them and poofing them to the outskirts of town. And of course, Emma cannot poof them back since she's having the savior spasm. So she decides to sort of sit and glower about it while the other guys are really trying to get her back in the spirits and have them actually work towards a goal. They remind her, Hey, even when you didn't have your magic, you were able to do things efficiently. And yeah. she remembers that, yeah, when I was a bounty hunter, I used to get myself myself in the head of the perps and remember what their stories were. Story, ding, 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 everybody take a shot. <laughs> and they realize that, oh, if we look in the book, we'll be able to sort of realize what Cinderella's story or... Maybe I'm a little lost here, Kurt. They could look in the book to figure out what Clorinda's story was, and then from there discern what Ella was trying to do. Is that right? Right. Yeah. He has he has book two with him. Uh, to be fair, he probably has book one with him as well. But he was like um, what a heavy backpack. That no wonder he's hunched over and the evil queen complains to him. He probably has like scoliosis at this point. So has he become like the hunchback? Is that the is that That's the true twist. His, his name is Quasi, Quasi uh, Henry? <laughs> yes, exactly. Quasimodo is his middle name. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, she's like, okay, Ashley blames herself for Clorinda not having her happy ending. Well, let's see what, what Clorinda's happy ending was. Let, let's go to the book. Uh, to be fair, I mean, I did like this whole thing where, you know, uh, you were good at finding people before you had magic. Let's just tap into that. Let's puzzle this out together. Let's actually think and not rely on magic. I mean, I was a little miffed in the last scene where, like, she stops to try to cast the magic on the shoe and can't. Where I'm like, she's just around the corner. Run after the woman. Um, but here it's like, okay, let's 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 get back to season one, old school. You were a you know a bounty hunter. Um, how, how did we find skips? Um, and. Yo, yeah, let's let's go to the book that she's trying to get happy. I, I, but I'm a little surprised that up to this point, if Henry knows that Ella's stepsister Clorinda is involved uh, from the note, uh, I'm surprised. The first thing you think he would do is let's go to the book and see what her story is. So uh, that that unfortunately didn't happen. But um, the thing the thing I was also really interested in in this scene was the 
what I thought was kind of a revelation is that the evil queen potentially went after the Cinderella storyline because Ashley was Emma's first save. And so this mm. is kind of what I meant by the first domino, whereas that if you took Ashley's first save away, what would that potentially do? And and I think that's kind of that initial thread that you pull and the whole thing unravels. And that's what I was kind of meaning earlier when I said that I think this was a case where the queen had hoped to just kind of knock over this initial domino, um, taking away the Cinderella save, and the rest of everything would fall apart. If, if, if Emma had never saved Ashley, if Ashley didn't have her happy ending, then everything else goes to pot. But because they do end up saving Ashley, spoiler alert, um, it's going to be a little bit more complicated for the evil queen to accomplish something. But the way they kind of had positioned that, I thought that was actually very clever it, and, and gave some logic to me as to why we're suddenly seeing an, a return to Ashley. It's a return to like the, one of the very first episodes, uh, the very first parts of season one. It's because that's where Emma's whole savior thing starts. And that's where you need to kind of, again, pull that initial thread to unravel the whole thing. So that's I actually liked that whole tie in. And that made me kind of, I think, appreciate the whole uh, reason why we're going back to Cinderella even more. Yeah, I really like that idea. And maybe, again, it was lost on me because maybe they were too subtle about it if they really were making that reference. But I feel like Emma would have said, like, she was the first person I saved in Storybrooke, you know. If that happen, if she loses her happy ending, I don't know what I'm going to do. But maybe that's a little too on the nose. But I, I really, really like that connection. So I hope that actually is true. Meanwhile, Ashley finds Clorinda in a barn. It seems like she's injured, but it's a trap because there, Lady Tremaine <laughs> oh, match, is with the match rifle. game. Ding ding yes! ding ding. <laughs> Amazing. It's your trap. <laughs> oh man, I can't wait for Admiral Akbar's flashback episode. Yeah. And I don't think this was Peter Peter's pumpkin farm. This was just the story. No, no, this no, this was Jacob's. So they talked about yeah. earlier how Jacob was in Storybrooke and how he had been. He had a farm, I guess, on the outskirts. Because again, Storybrooke can be both the smallest and biggest city in the world at the same time. Uh, and so I guess that that's where uh, they went to go find Clorinda. But big, I mean, there's no Starbucks, but there's two pumpkin farms. Because we, I think, the, the last time we saw. Um, Peter Peter Pumpkin Eater's Pumpkin Farm was uh, episode when they were five. when they were looking for the horse Violet's horse that eats Violet's, pumpkins yeah, yeah Violet's father yeah uh, back in it was like episode five of season five so I had thought that oh we're revisiting Peter Peter's but farm but this looks different I don't remember that being a two story farm I remember that being more of like a one story garage. Um, and this was just labeled Storybrooke's Pumpkin Farm. <laughs> Man, um, uh, they're lucky that Storybrooke is kind of stuck in like a perpetual fall slash winter because otherwise, like, could you imagine those pumpkins during the summer? They'd be rotting and smelly. Pumpkins are really only good for like three months out of the year. Right. The fall season. So luckily that's where they, it's, it's, it's peered both times. Um, yeah. The, although I think they made a lost an opportunity to really fully tie things in and to, instead of naming the footman. Jacob, you, you name him Peter, and it's all good. So everything kind of comes to a head here. It turns out that Tremaine has been working with the evil queen uh, to sort of get what she calls her, find her pieces of her betrayal. So we don't know too, too much about the deal, but I'm assuming Lady Tremaine offered information in exchange for the evil queen giving her, I guess, the whereabouts of Clorinda and Jacob and possibly Ashley as well. It seems like they're about to take out Jacob when Ashley stands between them. Uh, do you think that Lady Tremaine's going to back down? But no, she's only changing her weapon as Ashley gets shanked by a cane. 
Yeah, to me that is like six of one, half dozen of the other. Um, no, this was a lot better in my opinion. I know that like the injury uh, seemed like life or death, and Emma had to heal her right then, right there. But like she looks like she got stabbed in like the spleen area. It's not like she got stabbed anywhere that was extremely vital. You just have to get her to the hospital, and she should be relatively okay. Yeah, but it was like still. Uh, I mean, I think the same thing could have happened. Like she could have winged her with the gun. I. I, I I, I don't know how good a shot Lady Tremaine is. Um, uh, she, she you, I mean, at point blank range, even if you're blind, you have to hit at least a better part than that. Uh, well, <laughs> well, she she didn't do so good with do too good with the cane shank. So, um, the, which also, by the way, at least from my point of view, looked pretty awkward. And maybe it's because the cane was pretty big, but that motion was just weird to me. Yeah, it, it was it was strange. But I mean, she does say that uh, you know what the the with the like stabbing somebody like a gunshot isn't as intimate as I kind of want this to be um so yeah you, know, you know perhaps perhaps this the switch of weapons is what actually gave gave ashley the the little bit of extra time that she needed mm-hmm. so Emma runs in just in time she can heal your she can heal Ashley as she apparently is dying uh but the savior spasms come back. Really interesting moment here. Uh, I guess with Henry's encouragement, Emma is able to stop her savior spasms enough to heal Ashley. In the beginning of the season, we connected the savior spasms to maybe a larger set of symptoms for the savior's downfall. Here it appears like they're attributing the spasms to something that's more psychosomatic than maybe something that Aladdin is going through. Do you think this is a sign that Emma can defeat the spasms? Emma versus the spasms. Um, I don't. I, I don't know. I, I. I think it. It is something though that's endemic to the. You know the, the, uh, the role of savior. And again, we, we're going to get more Aladdin at some point. I think we're going to oh, in see... two weeks as they advertise very many times on the next time on. <laughs> Aladdin countdown. Don't, don't worry, Aladdin's coming in two weeks. Is just, what they seem to just be implying. Hang, just hang on. Bear with us. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So I think I think based on at least the Dire Straits we saw Aladdin in in the cold open of the uh, season opener, uh, I, th- I think I think it's really going to get worse for Emma before they get better. But you know, maybe she'll eventually overcome all of the symptoms. But I have a feeling that she's going to. Uh, it, it's. I think she's she's going to be suffering from more than just spasms in a couple weeks. So talk to me the logistics about this a little bit, Kurt. Lady Tremaine seems to be in one afternoon instantly arrested, institutionalized, and put in a prison jumpsuit and given community service. I didn't necessarily see that she was institutionalized. I, I think saw the, the orange jumpsuit is what... Oh, what, did they just did they just put her in an orange jumpsuit because it was fun and as such a fashionable woman she would hate the garish color? No, that's what you so you don't get hit by passing traffic as you're picking up litter. That's oh. yeah, yeah. It, it's admittedly the, I don't have too too much experience with that, so I wasn't entirely sure. Yeah, you, orange is the new black. Um, so yeah, so I think I think it's a matter of because they were still kind of like they hadn't actually left the pumpkin farm yet. Um, so my guess is like he, she was kind of arrested on the spot and they still had some stuff to do there. Um, like more group hugs, I guess. Uh, um, and so, well, we'll put her to work and have her pick up garbage while we wait to kind of take her down to the station. So uh, I, I, I saw that on, um, on, on Twitter, 
uh, Evil Roy asked us, is picking up trash with the dwarves appropriate punishment for attempted murder? Um, I I don't think that this was her final sentence. I think it was literally, um, you know, we've got this extra jumpsuit in the back of the car. Put this on. You're going to go to jail. But while we kind of wrap things up here, you're going to pick up some trash. I, well, I, I, I think she, she'll, she'll be facing higher charges. <laughs> well, let's, let's outline what the possible punishments could be. It could be this. She could be put in the holding cell in the prison in which she will most likely die based on the track record of what happens to people there or, or escape, escape. <laughs> <laughs> either or she's not staying there for longer than three hours yeah. she could be put in the uh, the mental ward which has become its own prison on its own which which is where they put hide i guess that's basically it or she can just go off scot-free so those are really the four options fairly limited i'm thinking it's going to be the basement of the hospital where uh where hide is uh, although we've seen that that's not really the most secure place either i really do think now that, I'm, that now that i think about it and just kind of given my, where what i've been involved in, in the past year i do think that the sheriff's office that's not an actual jail cell that's an escape room um <laughs> and they just people basically instead of having 60 minutes to break out of the jail cell they have basically you know probably a few hours and they either if they either escape or they die <laughs> i like that, that. That's, or else, that's, yeah gold will appear and then like turn them into dust like you did with zelina exactly that, that and that's pretty much the uh the track record of everybody there yeah because you kind of raise a point is currently nobody is really imprisoned except for hyde and he's kind of in the again in the asylum part of the uh uh the, the basement of the hospital um so my guess is that she's going to end up in one of those two places, but and I'm going to put I put my money on the basement of the hospital. Yeah, as, along with like Sydney Glass, it seems like they're going to. Oh, that's yeah. where they're going to put characters that like did it's, bad things in one episode, but they're not going to. They're not significant enough to put them in a holding cell. It's the Arkham Asylum of uh, of our uh, storybook. Yeah, I can't wait for the uh, the Rogues Gallery to escape at the end of season six, and now we really <laughs> have trouble on our hands. Blam! Kapow! <laughs> it's Bort Newt. Uh, so. We close up our Emma and Hook storyline for this episode. When Emma decides to finally ask Hook to move in with her, she embraces Archie's words. She's ready to take a chance, and it seems like the jackets are finally going to be commingling, Kurt. Yeah, brown chicken, brown cow. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, yeah, well, they had coitus interruptus at the beginning of the season, so I guess they, des- they deserve a second chance. Wasn't quite spelled it out that much. Thank you, Mike Blue. <laughs> Leave it to me to be as blunt as a cane that stabs people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the cane wasn't even designed to stab. It's more of like a blunt instrument that you hit somebody over the head with. But she managed yeah, she, to just like hit, push it all the way. She hit Jacob over the head with it earlier in the episode, but apparently I guess she had sharpened it to a fine point in Laos enough to shank somebody. With. Hopefully, because if she was if she was stabbed with the blunt end of a cane, that would just be like really, really a she's really strong, and b that would have sucked. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk about the final season with the Evil Queen and Hyde in a little bit because I yeah. feel like this ties into our other main storyline here, which involves Regina and the Charmings. They start here by going into the mental ward. Regina has a plan. She is going to appeal to Hyde to get some help in dealing with the Evil Queen. The bribe is Regina's lasagna uh unlike garfield i guess hyde has an affinity for lasagna but it appears that somebody has gotten to his stomach first yeah and not just a stomach but like basically brought him like a crate and barrel catalog and completely just redecorated his uh, cell what did you think about uh, his decor i liked it 
I mean, it was like nice, you know, Victorian. Um, I mean, that was at least the impression that I got. I didn't think that they had just like, let's make this more homey for him. I kind of got the feeling from the reaction when they walked in. It was like, what is all this and why are you eating food now? I got the feeling the queen not only brought him um, something a little bit tastier than lasagna, but also decorated the cell to uh, uh, match his taste as well. Did you see the vinyl? Very Gen X of Hyde. Yes, yes, very Gen X. No cell phone to text, though. No, we 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 we'll we'll see if you know if only the phones phones weren't frozen we could have seen if Ashley would spell a text to uh, to her prince with U or Y O U. <laughs> so it seems that the evil queen has already gotten to hide, and we'll talk a little bit later about the possible partnership brewing between the two of them. Right now, he's sort of trying to act like a rogue agent. And the price of his information has gone up, but we don't really understand what that is right now, as we're going to explore the other half of Hyde in Jekyll as they go to him to now try to recreate the serum spell that separated the two of them to figure out exactly how the Evil Queen was able to survive in spite of getting her heart crushed in the season five finale. One, one more before we leave the asylum, one quick one quick thing there. I think what what confused me a little bit was it seemed like uh Regina and Snow and Charming were there to see if he knew anything about how to beat the evil queen. But when he talks about what the queen wanted, he's like, the queen wanted info, and I told her about my friends. And now that I've done that, the price has has gone up. But I think I never got the impression that that was that that was what Regina and team were looking for. Um, and no, again, well, we, they, were, they were looking for information specifically in how to beat the, defeat queen. the evil queen. Right. Exactly. And it, was, it, it seemed like it, the Hyde was almost saying, well, uh, the queen wanted information about my, my friends uh, that came with me. And I'm guessing you do too, but I didn't get the, I think that it was like kind of apples and oranges there. And then once again, we get this question and this disparity between do the people who came from the land of untold stories, are they indeed Hyde's friends or are they indeed kind of just like living out their own lives and potentially even a little bit fearful of Hyde? And I think last episode we kind of had come to the conclusion that there's a lot of these people who have like nothing to do with Hyde, want nothing to do with him. But Hyde keeps referring to these friends that came with him that we're not really seeing yet. Like we haven't seen any bad news that came on the dirigible other than Hyde himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm really curious about these friends of Hyde. Um, and what they're going to potentially, uh, what that's going to potentially mean for uh, trouble uh, for for our heroes. But anyway, back to the back to the speaking of dirigibles, back to the broken dirigible and Doctor Jekyll. I totally have friends. They just live in Canada. They're <laughs> around here somewhere. I need to find my friends. Was Bane? Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, that, well, that's what I. That was the joke I made in yeah. the first episode. Is that Hyde basically sounds like a version of. Uh, Tom Hardy's Bane. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, it seems like... I mean, I was actually making a comment on this in my head before Jekyll even brings it up that it's it's hard to do science when you're out in the middle of the woods with a full chemistry set. And it's clear that Jekyll is frustrated that he really doesn't have the proper equipment because that is exists back in Laos. Meanwhile, Regina is pretty frustrated about being one step behind the Evil Queen, as Hyde outlined before, and realizes in that second that she is manipulating the crack between her and Zelina, sort of remembering the words that the Evil Queen had said to her on the docks last episode. But after she leaves, we get a rather interesting spin here that I feel like is going to be a recurring storyline. We need to give Mary Margaret something to do this season. I guess she's starting a school, Kurt. It seems like <laughs> or, she is. Or like she she wants things to get back to 
storybook normal versus fairy tale normal. As like you know, yeah. like we may all be fairy tale characters, but the public education system in this town is abhorrent, and we need to get that back and running. I, I mean, she we had to see like she really liked teaching, um, so she wants to teach again. We've had peace for twenty. We had peace for twenty eight years while that was going on. It was something that she really enjoyed, and uh, and a nice little nod there is like you know even you know. You know, great heroes can be teachers, and teachers are great heroes. Um, so it's she misses that, and yeah, we, and we'll we'll get a little bit more of, of that from a fun perspective at the end of the episode in terms of like uh, uh, now there's a it, it's almost like the game of life where you're adding little pegs to your car as you drive yeah. around the board. She's not, she's adding she's throughout the season she'll be adding faculty to the school. Well, whether they like it or not, it seems I I do yeah. like that that snow lampshades here that. You know, it seems like we're just doing defeat and repeat for the yeah. past several years. And that, again, is like a, a pretty valid complaint that some fans have had about the series is that it's it's straight away from its roots. And now it's sort of doing the the rinse and repeat formula. So it's nice that they're, again, going back to their season one tidings here. I mean, we've, <laughs> it, we've barely seen Henry in school. I think it's an opportunity for her to explore. I mean, I'd say one of the strongest Mary Margaret storylines of the past few years was the one where she was the mayor for all of like three episodes. But that was a lot of fun. My only qualm would be if it separates her too much from everything else that's going on. It's very clear that right. from the David stuff, they're going to separate him from snow this season, but hopefully it doesn't mean like, Hey, Jay, we're good. When you go play in a classroom for a while, while everyone else does the hero stuff, unless they can like tied into the main storyline, like, uh, and now we've saved another person from the land of untold stories. And that fills the spot of our home ec teacher. Yeah, you know, the, the, oh, so. that'd be crazy if they put if they put a bunch of refugees in as teaching our children. I'm sure there would be certain pundits in the Storybrook community <laughs> that would not like that. Let's just you know, defeat and repeat sound like something that we, we heard on the uh, on the, the Sunday debate. So <laughs> yes, would, very much so. Yeah, uh, uh, trickle down, <laughs> trickle down, Regina. <laughs> oh boy. So speaking of David, he's, again, spinning off on his own storyline after the revelation at the end of last episode that his father might not necessarily have died the way he thought. He goes to see gold in the pawn shop since the coin that the Evil Queen left him came from there. And we have a, a deal being struck up here. We don't know exactly what gold side of it is, but it seems like gold has a nice little uh, Rolodex of yeah. every single artifact in his shop and where it came from and how it came to be. That would be such a fun afternoon of reading. I'm just saying. Yeah, like, that's why Like, I'm, I'm super jealous. I think one of the best jobs in this show's chronology was when Henry got to work for Mr. Gold in his shop. I would have loved that job. I mean, it goes back to, again, I've, I've talked about how much I liked the sci-fi series where house 13 and even like the old 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 school uh, tv series friday the 13th which was about a you know a curio shop that had a bunch of cursed items that were going out into the world and the, and the people are working to get them back so, and to to stop the evil that's causing that they're causing um I, I i like that idea of just like all the items in this shop having some sort of uh magical tie-in i mean the, the coin as far as we know isn't magic but there are, are a bunch of magical items there and then go back to uh the beast's "Quote unquote," the Beast's Castle, uh, where we saw Thor's hammer and Excalibur in, in different like one-off flashbacks uh, in, in the in the in the uh, Enchanted Forest storyline. Um, so again, I think it's nice that that his castle that had all of these magnificent curios is now the pawn shop that has all these magnificent curios. So it's one of my favorite settings in the in the series, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts about this upcoming Regina and Zelina scene? It doesn't seem like anything really 
new came to be. It just seems to, in my opinion, build to this ever-growing resentment between the two where it doesn't seem like they're finding any common ground anytime soon. Um, yeah, no, it, it, it seemed to just kind of be uh, uh, a little bit more volume behind the discontent that we'd seen in previous episodes. It just didn't really add much for me as much as it just sustained what we knew was going on. Yeah, it's like, let's check in on how much Zelina hates Regina this episode. <laughs> yep, still hatred. Yep, or at least still, no, hatred. still not hatred as much as it's... I, I, I'm, not, I'm still not getting the sense that they really hate... And, and maybe I'm projecting, but I think it's one of those things where they both... I, I almost feel like they both want to apologize, but they're both like too proud to and a little bit frustrated that neither of them is. Um, so they're they're kind of just dancing around it i don't get the sense that there's a sense that there's a real hatred there um as much as there's like a shared frustration that they both want to get better but again i could be projecting what we have here is a failure to communicate exactly (laughs) so we see david visiting bell in the jolly roger and he's kind of serving as a messenger for gold here he leaves her a cassette tape, which we'll definitely get to that mixtape later on. But I think the more prominent part of this scene is the talk about fathers and David admitting to Belle that while my father was pretty crappy while he was alive, he was much worse when he was gone. Right. And and then, and then Belle's, ahead, admission, Belle's admission that fathers and sons do need each other, which is kind of a little bit of a nod into, well, I'm having a son and I'm not I'm kind of estranged from gold right now. So that's going to have to be something that I resolve at some point. Even if the, your son is the god of dreams, he still needs to make up with his father. Yeah, I still don't know what that implies and that's, what was going yeah, on with that. Still, still TBD. Still, still TBD. Still, um, still yeah. TV bad. <laughs> Sorry, I like that. Yeah. Uh, new initials for TBD. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if this scene and the last semi last scene as well with Gold sending her a cassette tape that turns out to be. I want to call it a lullaby. It's more like a lullaby spoken word uh, of a of a you know a bedtime poem. Yeah, I looked. Oh, it, I looked it up. It was and it was. It's it's a legitimate like basically it's a Scottish lullaby. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's it was yeah it was just him kind of softly speaking it and and do we need to explain what a mixtape slash cassette tape is to the millennials that are listening? I'm a millennial <laughs> and I don't. I'm fine with it. Maybe for the gen. You're an old soul there. though, Mike Bloom. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's for the uh, for the the Prince Neils of the world, the Gen Z's, Gen Z's, the Prince the Prince Will's. <laughs> yes, exactly. The Prince Will Walls of Kingdom Wall. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't even I don't even know. Does this count as a mixtape? I don't know if there are multiple songs on it or just this one poem. Um, I'm kind of glad we didn't find out. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. Maybe he's like, Bell, put on this other song once the once the baby's gone to sleep, <laughs> and then but, more brown chicken, brown cow. <laughs> I mean, not not yeah. <laughs> yeah, it flipped to a side too. <laughs> um, but you know, I think again, this is and maybe you know, not for nothing. I think little things like this are little fun things that I and that I would love to see as like enhanced elements on a uh, once upon a time wiki or website where you get to. There are all these little pieces of media, whether they be the print print media such as the you know the once upon a time book or you know uh henry's registry or this mixtape little things that you could actually have uh, a little bit more in depth and like play the whole tape or read leaf through the book um and it builds as you go out through the season so i think missed opportunity from the once of the once upon a time uh producers in terms of recreating some of these elements in full online i think that'd be you fun just, to you go just wait until guardians of the galaxy volume two comes out and it turns out that the song on that cd is going to be 
It's going to be Mr. Gold reading a, a classic rock song in his brogue. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll wait for that. <laughs> well, so I want to ask you, Kurt, though, between this scene and the scene where Belle is listening to the tape and Gold is walking outside, over under how many episodes until Belle takes Gold back? Let's be honest here. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when? I think so. I think based on this scene, Belle is starting to unfortunately already come around on the idea of taking him back. Well, I think she'll I think she'll decide to, but then something bad will happen and then she'll go back again to uh I it was almost there but now I'm not. But then she'll kind I'm I will say so this was episode 3. Mm-hmm. I will say episode 7. Okay, so you're giving it four episodes until she takes him back for the first the first time. Y- yeah. Okay. Yeah, I say I say go for the final time. It may be the first and final, but it'll be the final time. I, I, okay. Yeah, I'll take I'll take the over on that. That's, I think that's we're a I think way we're, to do it. I think we're going past the month here, but I feel like we're getting the small inklings of it here, the squid inklings, <laughs> if you will. Kurt, we spoke about throwbacks this episode. Here's a pretty big throwback, even though we saw him briefly last season. As soon as you saw the doctor on the license plate, did you know whose house we were in? Yes. I I had a strong, strong feeling um, that we would... Again, Dr. Whale slash Frankenstein was one of my favorite characters from the the past five seasons. Uh, Well, it's hard to say the past five because he had such a small presence in like the past couple seasons. But again, I I think I was really intrigued... uh, you know, by the visit to his world and it was like this black and white horror world. And, and like, there is something about the world that, uh, that, you know, we saw that Clorinda and the Count of Monte Cristo were from the enchanted forest, but ended up in the land of untold stories. We don't know what kind of world Jekyll and Hyde were from, uh, prior to going to the land of untold stories. We may get some insight into that next week. Um, but like, was it a enchanted forest type world? Was it a, uh, uh, Victorian England, Peter Pan, uh, you know, uh, Wendy uh, and, and kids um, type of world, or is it more? Wendy of, and kids sounds like a horrible Saturday morning kid show about Peter Pan. Uh, there probably was one, um, or was it more of the black and white horror world? And so, anyway, long story short, I really liked the origin story of Doctor Frankenstein slash Doctor Whale, and so I was always glad to see uh, uh, David Anders. Uh, I just finished watching season one and two. Of uh, or season one of of I Zombie, yeah, and I love him in Alias. So he's actually a, a, an actor that I pretty much love whatever he's in. So uh, it was, and plus it's just kind of a nice meeting of the minds uh, between yeah. uh, Doctor Jekyll and uh, Doctor Frankenstein, and, and the I, brain that's probably sitting in the refrigerator. It's a little bit of a mutual admiration society going on here, which was kind of fun. Yeah, so Snow uses this, we talked about this before, as an opportunity to possibly network slash recruit, saying that they can make a fun science faculty, but would they? I could see Dr. (laughs) Jekyll, but I don't want the man who experiments on dead bodies to be let anywhere near any children. Well, it's better than the man who experiments on live bodies. I mean, let's be completely honest. If you have your choice between the two, the experimenting on the dead bodies is preferable. Um and I'm thinking, like, we haven't really seen much going on at the hospital lately. We've been a lot under the hospital uh, in terms of that uh, Nurse Ratched run asylum. Um, but I'm like, couldn't Dr. Frankenstein slash whale just pick up his, uh, especially given the crash of the dirigible, couldn't he just, like, 
pick up his uh, uh, role and position back at the hospital and help out there. He seems to be more in fit to the hospital than to the school. Is what I guess what I'm yeah, to say. Yeah, that's what I'm, I was about to say. I feel like for both of these guys, it's totally above their pay grade to be <laughs> teaching school science. Or, be, or below their pay grade. Uh, as, or below, as the case, below yeah. their pay grade, yeah. That's, I guess they're, they're above the pay grade yes. of those high school science teachers. Um, but it, it, I, could see, I could see it being something that Dr. Jekyll would enjoy. Um, if, if, I, if I'm going in as like career placement counselor for uh, displaced characters within the realm of Storybrooke, I could see a high school science teacher being something Jekyll would enjoy. Um, uh, I think you'd have to talk uh, Frankenstein into it. Because yeah. I think he'd be like, wait, I was, I was a doctor, the main doctor at the local hospital, and now you want me to teach science? Really? Yeah, that that's the thing, is that I think Jekyll would definitely buy into it, because what else is he going to do? And maybe that's an opportunity for him to get equipment. Though maybe he'll pull like a Walter White and start using like equipment for <laughs> nefarious purposes. But I did think this looked like, like whose meth lab did they stumble upon <laughs> when, they, <laughs> when they open up the garage? But but Whale is the one that's more suspect to me because, again, this is a guy who not only has nefarious purposes, but also has another complete full-time job. Why would you ever think that he would leave his residency post at the local hospital to teach at your school? Like, is he still there, though? That's like I, I for some reason I kind of. I mean, got last the, time we saw him, he was helping Zelina give birth. Oh, that's true. Um, yeah, I don't know. And plus, I I think part of it's colored by the fact that I'm just you know, you know, recently remembering him chopping up you know brains and putting them into basically a Meals on Wheels program for zombies and I Zombie. So uh, I, I I'm having a hard time really reconciling this decision. I think I think Snow White needs to pump the brakes a little bit. And think about what she's doing. Let's yeah. let's 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 plan and then take action, and not just like randomly offer teaching assignments to the, the first fairy tale characters that you come across. So we'll see if Snow keeps recruiting a la the Avengers uh, refugees for <laughs> her high school. Let's talk about David's storyline a little bit here in this final scene between the two of them, where. David admits that Gold gave him information that his father apparently did not die in that carding accident, as the letter alluded to. He was stabbed, and so now there's a chance that his murderer is out there and that David wants to find him. Snow, in sort of line with the Count stuff from last episode, encourages him that vengeance will really get you nowhere at the end of the day. And David seems to be going along with it for one second, but when her back is turned, it seems like he is ready to soldier forward with it. Kurt, do you think this is a chance for David to possibly turn to the dark side? Um, I was initially going to say no because, like, he's he's just looking in. Like, he raises a good point. He's like, she's like, I should just be the teacher and you should be the sheriff. He's like, well, this is the the sheriff would look into a murder, <laughs> and and that's kind of what he's doing. Like, he's like, his father may have been you know more likely you know stabbed by a very blunt cane i don't know by something uh before his cart uh went off the the road i i think it's i don't think it's a a dark path that he's going down by wanting to investigate this however we have to remember who put him on this path it was the evil Mm -hmm. queen and so well i don't think that um at first glance that this is something that you would necessarily need to be worried about i think the fact that uh he's not I think if he had raised to Snow White, oh yeah, by the way, 
the evil I'm kind of doing this because the evil queen pointed me in this direction. I think that's something that, that Snow White would have latched onto and said, okay, then maybe we just need to be cautious about this. Like she might have been more convinced that she needed to do it then. Um, but at the very time, uh, at the very same time, it's like that, that's the added level of caution right there. Yeah, I think that is the is the key because even Regina brings up before. Oh yes, I remember the evil queen said she's going to try to bring up cracks between us, and this is going to be one possibly between a husband and wife, a pair that's been pretty much in line for the past couple seasons, but here is a path where they can really diverge, where David is withholding key information from them to kind of go off on his own path. I don't see too, too much him going to the dark side and him fully embracing his evil, but I could see him becoming so obsessed with this that it leads to strife between him and his wife. I, I see him... Um... And I think it's a, it's a future that we can't see now, but I think that as he investigates this, he's going to come into a situation where if he does the wrong thing, it's going to take him further into darkness. I don't think that what that inflection point is going to be is entirely clear just yet, but I think that inevitably um, that's going to happen because he's choosing to investigate this. And he'll probably choose the right thing after choosing the wrong thing, um, And but... Uh, I again, I, I think it's I think it's um, in character for him to want to investigate this. I don't think it's wrong for him to investigate this. I do think that it's it's something though that um, if he's not doing it with a little trepidation because of the evil queen, that he should be. Um, well, yeah, we'll check on the progress of yeah, charming into the, darkness as the series progresses. The, 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 the small uh, note. Back in the pawn shop, when uh, when Rumpelstiltskin was going through his card catalog and pulling out the card for the tin coin, I think I spent about like ten minutes trying to pause the TV just right so I could read the card. Uh, didn't learn anything that we didn't learn in this last scene, so I wasted ten minutes of time. Yeah, because yeah, you could see the writing pretty clearly yeah. on the card as he was about to burn it uh, and decided it, it shouldn't burn, and, uh, and unlike it, Eliza Hamilton. Yeah, haha. Um, and and it. Uh, it's unfortunately all it really said was what he told us was that the body was stabbed before it went over the cliff on the cart. So, um, and plus it's like, I, I, I didn't really put as much weight, but he could have still burnt the card and gone through with the investigation. I understand it's symbolic. Yeah. There's, there's but... not many words on that card, David, you can I've memorize got... them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But uh, we'll we'll see where this goes. It's a stabbing, Kurt. Do you think Lady Tremaine is the top suspect at this point? That's why I said he was stabbed with a blunt cane before he went over the cliff. <laughs> All right. I guess we, we have a leading suspect at this point in the investigation, the cold case of uh, David's father's murder. So we'll, we'll, true, we'll let that... True Detective ahead. Season 3. Oh, God. It, wouldn't get, it couldn't get any worse, so I, they might as well throw it on there. Uh, let's put that on the back burner for now and talk about our final scene. A partnership is brewing here where the evil queen seems to be complaining to Hyde about how Emma has foiled her plans once again, but he's urging that she needs to be patient. He's going to help her, but he's a little tied up at the moment, I should say. Uh, She helps fix that problem. The magic shackles are finally gone. They open the door. Chief doesn't interfere at all, and the two clearly walk out here. Kurt, what do you think the possible effects may be of an evil queen-Hyde partnership? Um, well, she, like, the only reason she frees him is that she, like, she knows that Dr. Jekyll is working to, uh, end her. 
uh, like we we go back to that scene in the forest, and he kind of gives voice to like, well, we don't know why you know destroying her heart and turning it to dust, like how she came back. Maybe there's something a clue in the the potion that I had made. Um, so she knows that he's working to destroy her, um, and thinks that you know Hyde can potentially uh, either help stop him or get ahead of the game. Um, like I mean, if you think about. I think that the interesting thing about the Evil Queen is. Um, she's probably most able to stay one step ahead of Regina just because they were so closely tied, but she's still able to be foiled by the likes of the savior as we've seen. So I think if she wants to stay ahead of someone like Dr. Jekyll, she needs his uh, less pathetic half in Mr. Hyde uh, brought out to play as well. So I'm just surprised it didn't happen a little bit sooner. Like I did, I, I didn't see any, any upside for the evil queen and having Hyde jailed for this long. I'm just surprised it took this long for him to be freed. I agree. And maybe it was part of her plan to manipulate that, but they definitely should have seen each other as allies early on because if Hyde apparently has these friends and the evil queen has the power, I feel like it is the perfect pairing. So I guess we'll see what happens with that? Uh, I think the Evil Queen has definitely made a good ally, a good choice, and a business partner, uh, considering his resources and his knowledge. So I think even though Emma temporarily foiled her plan and she pretty much outlined to Emma what her plan is going to be, I think she became substantially more powerful this episode. Right. Although they didn't just poof out. They walked out. Like, this is... We were talking about where is Lady Tremaine potentially going to be in prison. I'm like, that's why I said the the asylum-ish quarters underneath the hospital really aren't that secure. Uh, we've, we've seen Nurse Ratched knocked out in the past uh, as people were going to release different people. Um, but uh, we don't know what happened to her. Maybe she was off duty. Um, those floors are spotless. Thanks, Chief. Um, but, uh, yeah, they just kind of stroll on out. So if you guys out there have any thoughts as to what the – Evil Queen, Hyde partnership may be, or whether David is leading down a dark path, or who you think Snow White should recruit uh, to bring onto her school staff. You have a bunch of ways to reach out to us. You can always leave a comment on postshowrecaps.com while you're there on the website. If you haven't yet, make sure you're subscribed to our Once Upon a Time only feed. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash once iTunes. While you're there, we always love your ratings and reviews and general subscriptions because that helps us pop up a little bit more in the iTunes feed, which is really important especially since it's only a few episodes into the new season and you can always reach out to us on social media as well kurt is at kurt clark i am at a mike bloom type check out all the other great stuff that's going on on post show recaps as well westworld has started up and so have recaps with josh wiggler and joe garfine i know there's some mr robot postseason action going on snl just started up seinfeld's going strong there's a whole slew of things for you to check out in fact uh, something i've been working on if you're a big 30 rock fan and you're listening to this around or after october 11th there might be something more exciting in your feed than uh, a box of off-brand mexican cheetos so check that stuff out kurt great job as always to finish things off do you have a hashtag for people who made it all the way to the end of the podcast I'm really curious about this whole high school staffing situation. So how about you tweet to us using either the hashtag best faculty ever or worst faculty ever, indicating what you think of the decision to draft Doctors Jekyll and Frankenstein. And while you're doing that, if you say best faculty ever, give the name of somebody else in Storybrooke that you think uh, and, and, the, and the role you'd like them to have in the high school. Or like or flip side, worst faculty ever if you think it was a bad choice, and then the name of somebody and the role that they would be very terrible at. So, oh, I like this. This is like an at midnight game. It's very yes, yeah, exactly. 
Uh, um, so- should should they use names of Storybrook townspeople or Land of Untold Stories people or both? Uh, either or. Okay, great. I mean, obviously, in the latter, we are there are much more unknown factors. So, pretty much, it's it's the wild west out there. But yeah, this this is I like this game a lot. So let us know who you think your choices are for best or worst faculty members for Mary Margaret's burgeoning school. <laughs> it's the Mary Mary Margaret School for Peculiar Faculty. <laughs> Oh boy! Don't let Tim Burton near that one, especially yeah. uh, d- as long as it's a it's a diverse school. I think we, we should be okay. With okay. It. <laughs> okay. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, great job, Kurt. As usual, we will be back next week to talk about episode four of season six. But for now, if you plan on opening a pumpkin farm anytime soon in Storybrook, you are going to be facing some stiff competition. Take care, everyone.